As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I get the distinct pleasure today to sit across from Trevor Steinhauser, podcast host of Stigmatized Podcast and Recovery Coach. Trevor's also a longtime friend. Our families have known each other for many years now, over a decade. And it has been a great experience uh, being alongside of Trevor's life and to call him friend, more importantly, to introduce you to him and allow him to help you through this episode with his life experiences. So Trevor, thanks so much for joining us today. Honored to be here. So let me give you a little bit of background to our listening audience today. So again, Trevor's family owns an organization. Our family owns an organization. We met through the Garing Center for Mm -hmm. Family and Private Business. Trevor and I have known each other for quite a while as his sister, Trevor, your sister, I described Tara as one of my best friends in life. Yeah. And it's an honor to only be two blocks away now, which we joke about. Like, can you ever imagine? We'd be right here in Newport next to each other. Trevor, as we think through the challenges that society brings us today and life brings us today, a lot of people think that the underprivileged are the ones that get impacted by tough emotional, mental, physical ailments and challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a blessing. One, it's a blessing that you're here. Two, it's a blessing that you get to share your story as a individual who has had amazing family, had amazing resources provided to you, and still ran into struggles, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to walk this journey together with you, our audience. We hope you'll join us in dialogue and interaction, and we look forward to your feedback from this episode. So Trevor, can you start off by sharing just a little bit about what has us here today? What is Stigmatized Podcast and what led to that? So I am in recovery for addiction and have dealt with mental health issues my entire life. So as I came out of long-term recovery, I wanted to give back in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And the thought of a podcast came up three years ago, and I thought it fit my personality and fit my skill set, so to speak. That was what I wanted to do. And I think for probably three years, I put it on the back burner because I was nervous about the technical stuff and more self-confidence type of thing. But in January this year, I decided to just give it a shot and uh, stigmatized, just like the name says, is all about the show is all about addiction and mental health and giving awareness, education, and then hearing stories of others about their journeys through life and through those particular issues. And just like you said, just getting the word out that, you know, you can be any walk of life, race, Mm -hmm. color, creed, it it really makes no difference. And it doesn't discriminate Mm -hmm. either thing, Mm -hmm. addiction or mental health. Frame it up as I became aware of what you were wrestling with, that was you were running a business. You mm-hmm. and your sister were owners of a organization and you were running that business together and have lots of employees and lots of customers. And then it was like, what's going on? Right. Yeah, was and I'm there sure one day and gone the next. And I'm sure really. some of our listeners have experienced that with their own employees, with their own family members, maybe with themselves. Right. So can you paint the picture a little bit about what was taking place in your life that ultimately removed you from a family business and also, you know, took you into deep, dark places and now has brought you back out of that? So I joined, our family business is a fourth generation printing and packaging company located just down the street from here in Newport. And I joined the company in 2001 after graduating from the University of Kentucky. And It was kind of an unwritten, unspoken expectation, I think, in a lot of ways that we all work there. Mm -hmm. And it never really excited me, but I saw the pictures on the walls of the 
generations and ancestors. And there was a little bit of obligation, but I was excited about it. So anyway, we went through a bunch of different positions for me. We just were making stuff up almost because I was not a book smart business type of guy. I found myself more in the culture, kind of coaching people up, getting to know them, just using my personal skills to, and that's kind of where my competitive advantage was. Mm-hmm. So I had always ran pretty hard on the, the partying part of it with drugs and alcohol. And then our father in 2005 was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, mm-hmm. who was you know, my best friend. I got to work with him every day and go home and see him. And it was just the joy of my life. And so that was devastating. And he died the following year, and the wheels really started to come off for me. And I got married the same year, right when he got diagnosed. I got married. We were switching complete technologies in our business, so stress level was through the roof. And right when that happened, Tara and I had to, you know, we have an outside board, and they're like, they said, you need to mourn as you can mourn, but we got to run the business, Mm -hmm. and you guys are up now. And Tara, my sister, was already president, so that was we were fortunate in that regard. Actually, she was named like two weeks before hmm. that happened, so that was a really a blessing. But I never really fit in, and I struggled because I knew I could never do what my sister did, which was run the company, and that bothered me. Hmm. And ego got in the way, and I'm thinking, you know, my name's on the building. I should be the one in charge, even though I knew in my heart that I couldn't do it. And if she got hit by a bus, we would be up a creek. So I wrestled with that and just going through life and through business, not truly happy. I tried to like it. I knew the business back to front. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I put everything I had into it. I knew it top to bottom, back to front, but it just wasn't fulfilling for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm pushing through and still having children and but in this steady state of depression. Always been anxious my entire life, always worried about what was coming, things I can't control. And so that continued. And fast forward to 2014, I had three children, a wife. I'm running this business. Tara and I, by that point, we were seven years into running the company. Mm-hmm. And we were doing great. And both uh, felt like we were running a good company. And uh, good employers and love the people we work with. And, mm-hmm. but I was in 2014, I started using cocaine heavily mm. and alcohol. Uh, I always kind of did, but it became a problem at that point. And so that went on for a year and a half. And I found myself in company meetings, telling people to do the right thing. And, you know, the Steinhauser way and even though that's still at the core of my heart, I would go from those meetings into my office and shut the door and do drugs hmm. for the majority of the day. So just being a total hypocrite, but I had a demon inside of me. I'm still the same person, but I was plagued with this just absolute raging demon hmm. inside of me. So that happened fast forward to June of 2015. My sister and a couple of friends intervened and that was scary. But long story short, the charade came to an end in October of 2015, Mm. which included the authorities. Mm. So uh, potential legal ramifications, because this is how bad it got. Went to rehab in late October of 2015 and found my aha moment, got all that stuff. But since I was doing it a lot at work and the stress level was just huge and the sights and the smells. And uh, so we discussed me coming back and I wanted to, but part of me truly felt like this was a blessing that it's given me a chance to maybe do something else Mm -hmm. because I don't think I was truly meant to do what I was doing. So we made the decision with the board and with Tara and myself that it would be best if I didn't come back. Mm. And they were truly amazing with helping me transition into whatever it was I was going to do, but helping me get healthy and kind of trying to find my way and very supportive. And then an official buyout started 
in May of last year. So that was kind of how it it unfolded and kind of in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was unfortunate in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I feel like it was a blessing, mm-hmm. but it was definitely life-changing. And I left, like I said, I was there one day, gone the next, left my sister on an island, mm-hmm. you know, because we were in this together and she really had no clue what was going on. Mm-hmm. Because I've always been kind of all over the place and a spaz sort of. So she saw that like she normally saw it, but she didn't really know what was going on deep inside of me. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I call her and say, hey, this is what's going on and I can't come to work. And she was very supportive, but I mean, I really left her high and dry yeah. at the end of the day. And it was tough on her, it was tough on me, it was tough on our relationship, yeah. but it is what it is and it was what it was mm-hmm. so we just had to work through it and, and there was some angst there for a while because mm-hmm. you know i made i did some bad stuff and it ultimately led to her running this company and being charging 35 families without her business partner and brother and sounding board and and we were we're tight mm-hmm. as tight as you can get and that definitely fractured things but that was my doing mm-hmm. and so in the face of that she was just tremendous with supporting me. Mm-hmm. I mean, tremendous. And yeah, I owe her my life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So. Mm-hmm. so there's so many things we're gonna come back here and unpack. You mentioned that you have always wrestled with, and first, thank you for sharing. Oh, what absolutely. You just shared. No, this is um, a joy. You mentioned that you have always wrestled with anxiety and that extra layer of stress and carrying around angst and things of that nature, where do you feel like that has come from? So a lot of people, there's a cross-section of people who struggle with this chronically that have some sort of traumatic event in their life, normally in childhood, whether that be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual Mm -hmm. abuse. My trauma came in the way of head injuries. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, I fractured my skull when I was 18 months old fell down a flight of wooden stairs and my mom said my head blew up like a watermelon. So Mm. that instantaneously, and I truly believe, knocked off my brain development right then. And so I went on to have more concussions in my childhood. And these were just unfortunate being a boy. And my mom said, whenever I fell, I fell on my head. Tons of stitches, but really rocking my brain, these head injuries. And brain damage. I mean, I truly feel that there's some of that there. So when I was young, I started seeing that things were off. I mean, I was just thinking about some really compulsive things. And, you know, I was having panic attacks, what I know now to be panic attacks, seven or eight every night. The only way I can explain it is it was like having a drum set or a tuning fork in my brain and an anvil on my chest Hmm. every night. And I didn't know what was going on. So that started the self-confidence, the self-esteem, and I was just a basket case. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was also a very happy kid. Grew up in a wonderful home, free of any neglect, free of anything, Mm -hmm. nothing but positive. Two parents that loved us to death, older sister, older brother, and we didn't want for anything. But this kind of foreshadows the fact that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so as I continued to have these uh, head injuries, I started, and I'm not saying it's all that, but it's a huge part of it in addition to some genetics there. Compulsive behaviors, addictive behaviors mm-hmm. at six, six or seven. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, whatever felt good to me, I could not get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Whether that was video games, playing basketball in the backyard, spending the night somewhere. How long can we stay up? Can we play basketball till three in the morning? Do you have lights like that we can set up? Mm -hmm. Like nothing was enough for me. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much has continued throughout my life. And I've always struggled with it. I was medicated at six for ADHD and still to this day have a hard time retaining information Mm -hmm. and have gone to, I don't know how many therapists and but when you're young you're unable to convey what's going on in your mind and so we just my mom just took me to the next one and to the next one and the next one and doing the best that she thought she could do but it was really nothing doing there Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of more of the same throughout my life and did it lead to early depression did you have depression and my my first i had anxiety 
I always had anxiety. I didn't know what that was, yeah. but I was, now that I know, always were, I was a scared little kid, always mm. worried about what was going to happen. No 11-year-old should be stressed out about what's coming, but I was. Right. I mean, I just could not turn my head off. Mm. But I had my first bout of depression in college, what I know to be between anxiety and depression, true depression. Mm. And life comes at you. It gets more complex. It's not the kindest thing in the world. And even though I had everything you could truly want, what's inside, it takes on a life of its own. And I'm not able to control my the brain that I have above my shoulders. And it took me places that I honestly wish nobody would ever have to go through. Mm -hmm. Just awful. And people say, snap out of it. It's just not that easy. Mm. You know, it's just tough. So to answer your question, long-winded answer, it started very early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was recently listening to a individual share a story about schizophrenia, and his comment was that my parents would always tell me to snap out of it, right? And I would try, and sometimes I didn't even know what it meant, mm -hmm. right? And nor did sometimes I hear them when they said that. And then Finally, when I was diagnosed, the parents were like, wow, how would we have ever spotted this? What could we have known? And his comment was, we need to talk about it. Yes. Right? People need to talk about it. People need to hear, Trevor, your story of why you're sitting across from me right now yeah. versus not being here at all on this earth. Absolutely. And I believe that God took you through a dark journey to be right where you are today, mm -hmm. right? And someone somehow... You have your beautiful wife and children that you get to now share your story and help them in their own journey mm -hmm. and how proud they can be of you for everything you've overcome. Mm -hmm. When you look back at work, so you mentioned you wanted to be there because your name was on the door, your name's on the company, but yet you never really found your place or did you wish you would have never been put in the family business or I wish you would have never joined the business I or... I can't say that because yeah. really at the end, 2012, 2013, I was really digging. I was really, I, I knew everything about it, how in my sleep I could tell you how everything worked. But I found myself every day walking the halls and walking the shop and just talking to people, mm -hmm. coaching people up, seeing how their day's going, seeing what I can do to help them, what we can do to help them, what would make things better. and. All my operational duties, that's kind of, I, I would say neglect is a strong word, but I mean, I'm not an Excel spreadsheet guy, you know? So I found myself doing those other things, which some people would call those soft skills. And it's not tangible to take into a boardroom. Mm -hmm. And so I would try and chime in. It didn't mesh. And it was almost as if I wasn't there a lot of the time mm -hmm. in these board meetings. It was just like I was non-existent. I think because I don't know if it wasn't, I didn't bring much or Tara was in charge. I was kind of just this, you know, cog in the wheel is at least that's the way I felt. So I kind of just slowly as things went along, again, I'm babbling here, but I can't tell you if I wish that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that the fact that I knew I had that opportunity and we talked about it from the time I was little, that you're the fourth generation, isn't that exciting? Mm -hmm. That when I started struggling academically because I was just behind, I could not retain information, which I kind of gave up in late high school, gave up in college and just cruised because I knew I had that. Gotcha. But that did not help me. Mm -hmm. At the time, I felt like, well, at least I have something to be some sort of a potential success because I don't have any skills, but my maturity and maturation process, it absolutely delayed that years and years. So I don't know. It's a toss up. I didn't. Oh, it is what it is. It is what it right. is. Yeah. And when you talk about, I remember, you know, the story every time I hear you or Tara share the story about losing your father so quickly. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned your father was your best friend. And I think a lot of us in family business, I work around both my parents, right? And what it has taught me as a lesson learned is that tomorrow can be very different. So that experience, I hear you mentioned earlier, your board said it's, which I totally understand, hey guys, you're gonna be mourning, 
but we need to mourn fast and think through because we also have a business tomorrow to run. Yes. That approach, did you feel like you ever got time to mourn? Um, not really. I mean, between taking care of our mother and also almost parallel to that, when our father died, our older brother ended the relationship with my sister and I. Mm. So we had a falling out almost instantaneously. Mm. So we had so many things going on mm. in that year. So I think I did. It took my sister a lot longer, mm -hmm. a lot longer, but there wasn't enough time. No. I mean, at least early on. Mm -hmm. And when they came in and said, and my dad's best friend was the chairman at the time, and he was a brilliant guy, but very blunt. He's like, he's my best friend too, but this is what we got to do. Mm -hmm. So mourn, without being so blunt, mourn on your own time mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And I got it, but it was very hard to hear that because oh, yeah. I wanted to mourn. Yeah, I wanted to cry and do all that stuff, but... It was tough. It mm. was tough because you're juggling so many emotions mm. and so many things. And I just didn't have the coping skills. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the coping skills for any of it, mm. much less all the other dark stuff that was going on in my life. So mm. it was a perfect storm of disaster. If there's any family business owners, if all of you that are listening, because we know you're listening... You know, I'll share a little bit here from my own personal experience. About seven years ago, we really started working on our succession and getting all the building blocks in place. So when my dad became president, the original founder of Centennial, Jim and Mary Morris, Jim died in a fatal accident five years into my dad joining the business. Mary came in, the my dad was her first call of what was going on, and my dad rushed to their home. The very next week, Mary said, Mike, you're up. Jim and I talked about it. If anything ever happened to either one of us and one of us couldn't be in the business, we would want you to be president. And my dad shares the weight of the world mm. fell on his chest. My mom talks about it. I was just talking to her the other night about succession planning because that's what we do in family business. Mm -hmm. And she was sharing like, I mean, it was like, I can almost see it like it was yesterday where your dad was laying on the floor holding his chest and me asking him, do I need to call an ambulance? And it was just pure, the weight of the world was sitting on his chest as you described it like an anvil. In a split second. In a split second. One phone call. Yeah. So that has really perpetuated Centennial has focused on family business and succession ever since, right? So we have a heart for it, an understanding of it. Now being the son that means I have grown up on every family vacation talking about, hey, all, we're going to have a family meeting and talk about if I die, what will happen to mom and what mm -hmm. will happen to me? And um, about seven years ago, really started setting in that my father is, at that time he was 63 years old, he's 70 at the time of this recording. And the realization for him was, hey, if something happens, kind of get up back up on your horse and ride again. I've lived a great life. Anything ever happens to me. And I remember telling him, dad, like you're not planning for me to be able to mourn too, right? Like you're just assuming that I'm going to show up the next day into work, right? And part of it is, well, of course you are because the lights will be on tomorrow and I get here at 630 every morning. So now you got to take that. So we talk through that a lot. Fortunately, my parents are still here as of today. But just family business, there's a different conversation that goes on or that needs to go on. Because mm -hmm. the worst thing is we don't talk about it and we don't address our own mortality and we never think about it and we're afraid of it. And when a parent or a family member gets taken far too soon and you don't have time to plan, I think we all need to be mindful that we are human, mm -hmm. right? And we need to mourn. Yeah. That whole experience, the crushing nature, you said things kind of started speeding up. Things started getting more aggressive and more addictive behavior. And the way you described it is you were in your workplace doing drugs and you're the owner. Right. Right. I could only imagine if it were an employee, what would happen if you found out about it and somehow hiding it and your sister didn't know about any of this. Right. No. How did you come to the point of I'm going to admit it? Like that's a big, big step. A couple friends started seeing my patterns and they were concerned. Okay. So they approached me and said, after a very 
unfortunate situation that happened where I made a, a mess of myself in front of a lot of people. One of those friends came and took me aside and slammed me up against the wall and said, hey man, I know what's going on. Mm. We gotta get you help. And I broke down right when he said, I'm like, I want help. Wow. You know, this is not fun for me. Good for I, him. Absolutely. And yeah. I wrote his parents a letter and not many people, even best friends would do that because how do you navigate something? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, he single-handedly saved me really. So little did I know that my sister was a cog in this wheel of this intervention thing. And when I found that out, my heart mm. fell through my body because I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. So this is now real for me. But when they intervened and they had been seeing a therapist for a few weeks, and so they were putting a lot of love and thought into this thing. But the first time I saw her, I hugged her and she hugged me and I said, I'm sorry. And she said, we're going to get you help. And I wanted help. So I was never, a lot of the people are in denial and get mad and upset when you approach them. And I was just totally the opposite of that. Hmm. I wanted help in a bad way, but yeah, it's always tough admitting such a horrible thing and looking back on the things that I was doing. And, and I would think to myself when I shut my office door, I'm like, you know, this is horrible what you're doing, mm. totally against every fiber of your being. But it was a nanosecond thought because I knew what you were going to do, what I needed, what I was going to do and what I needed to do at that point because it was run in my life. Yeah. So that was the moment that I sort of admitted it. I admitted it to myself I wouldn't say long before that, but I was scared that I would question often if this thing had me hook, line, and sinker. And if you were going to die from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I was dying. You know, I was physically, I say the, the last night before I got that phone call, I was in my bathroom looking in the mirror, crying my eyes out. My eyes were yellow, like a number two pencil. I mean, that jaundice. Mm. I know that my organs are shutting down, my kidneys, my liver, you know, my body's just gurgling. And my heart is about to explode because I'm just doing copious amounts of drugs. And I said a prayer and asked God or my dad or whoever to help me. And then I got that phone call from the authorities the following day, which was absolute divine intervention. I mean, to hmm. beg for that and to, to happen the next day, even though it sucked. <laughs> and I got a call from a scary, real thing. Those dudes saved my life the legal federal government, <laughs> hmm. those guys saved my life. So you had a friend pin you up against the wall and say, what are you doing? Your sister is involved in intervention. You're on your knees crying out for help. The next day, federal agents call you mm -hmm. or do they show up? No, or? they called me. Okay. Yeah. So that started everything. And then in the meantime of that first intervention, I had relapsed. I'd gone back out okay. for about five weeks and told my sister and those friends and this therapist that you were uh, good. That, that I was good. You know, started coming into the therapist's office high as a kite, saying, "Yeah, I've never felt so good in my life," and lying through my teeth to my sister. And and that following five weeks, it got really bad. Hmm. I mean, I was off of my rocker emotionally. I mean, going into full blown. I was going crazy mm. because of my mind was just ravaged with this thing that I've been going through and this, all these drugs that I was doing that I was honestly losing my mind. And I mean that in every sense of the word, mm. I wouldn't have lasted another month. There's no way. So it's very easy that I could be in jail right now, or I could be six feet underground. Mm -hmm. So when this all happened, I felt like it was my duty because not a lot of people get the chance. And a lot of people, they do it once, they die, or they get this opportunity and they go out and do it again and they die. Mm. So it's an honor and a duty for me to do what I'm doing. Mm. And I'm just I'm the luckiest guy to ever be in my mind. And I'm lucky because I had resources, I had support, and a lot of, not a lot of people get that. Right. So I owe it to everybody that's still struggling in my mind, not putting myself on a pedestal, but I want to do everything humanly possible to get the word out to the masses that it's okay. You're I mean, not we, alone. We struggle and it's okay mm. to be not okay. Mm. 
So could you have done this, you know, another part of the intervention, I understand only a little bit that your board chairman played a huge role oh. in this to help save your life as well. And for those listening, I'm in an executive CEO roundtable with Trevor's sister and how much your sister loves you oh. can not be explained. Mm. Your sister, all she wants is the best for you. Yeah. And that's all she's ever wanted. Despite the challenge and the difficulty, it really was more of, it's not what Trevor's doing to me. It's what, how can I help him? Yeah. Right. And that positive change that somehow your sister always has yeah. around what the situations that happen. And you have an amazing board chairman who also recently, Trevor, their board chairman is Scott Robertson. And um, recently shared a really powerful article on it's time to stop the silence about mental health in the workplace mm -hmm. and talking about the impact of mental health that we all deal with. Everybody who's listening has been impacted by this personally in their own families or in their workplace. And we'll get into this in a second, but we need to care as employers, which is why we're covering this on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. One, Trevor, I want to see you be wildly successful and I want to see thousands of people have their lives saved through the efforts that you're doing, which it will because thousands of people listen to podcasts yeah. and the opportunity for someone to say, you know what, after hearing this gentleman interview, this gentleman or this lady, I need to tell someone, right? Our friends want to help us. You need to maybe let them know you're struggling and go out there and share that with them. But your board stepped in in a huge way. I mean, do you think your business would be here if you didn't have a board? No, absolutely not. That's what I wanted to talk about because we really never had the discussion of what if I die, our dad saying that to us. We never really talked about that. And I think we were going to get into more of that, him phasing out. Sure. You know, but then at the proverbial bus hit, you know, so Tara, dad and I met all the time, pizza and go into their house and we talk business all the time, but never got into that stuff. And had we not had a much less a board, but an outside board, which my grandpa started back in the 60s, probably early 70s, 60s, was invaluable to us. We would absolutely unequivocally not be here had we not had an outside board. Tara would say the same thing to you. These people were not only dear friends, but they were, we got to give it to my grandpa and my dad. They were absolute business leaders, titans in different areas that you need to oversee a business. Mm. Everyone out there with family business, you need to really think about having, if you don't, having a, an oversight committee or board and preferably people that are outside your business. Mm. They can come in four times a year, look at things without emotion and have the interests of the business at heart, no matter if, you know, and some of those meetings are rough. Some of the meetings you hear things you need to hear, but you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to answer your question, we, there's no way. There's no way that we would have gotten through. My dad getting sick in our hundredth year of business, we had just sold part of our business. We went down to one customer, mm. one, went from 200 to one phasing out an entire part of our business that wasn't profitable. And there's no way. And we were of the thought always to surround yourself with smart people, mm -hmm. people that are smarter than you. We didn't have the thought process of, okay, we'll ask for help, but we're going to call the shots. We weren't like that. And I think it was a blessing that our dad at least taught us that kind of virtue. And we just took everything that people said in the most serious way and they helped us and they helped me, I mean, tremendously. I feel some people need extra TLC, which I was one of those people, but Scott Robertson, who is a absolute saint, happened to be on the board of the Leonard Center of Hope. And so he knew about this stuff and little did I know, but he had just been named chairman, very, there'd been a transition of chairman's not long before that. So for him to be in charge and at the helm and take me under his wing and say, I understand, I get it. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm not saying that if someone else was in charge, it very easily could have been, okay, 
we'll help them get settled. But then, you know, we're cutting ties and it's, they took a lot more emotion than some people would have because it was a business, yeah. you know, and I was a liability. They could have cut the cord and said, good luck. Hmm. Wow. But it was just not that way. So the fact that there was empathy, understanding, knowledge around this particular topic of mental illness and drug addiction and depression, they were able to look at it from that view versus not having it at all and saying, what do you mean? And almost make things disposable to a degree. And knowledge is the key. There was empathy there, but the knowledge he had Hmm. to talk to the other board members and this is how we're going to handle it this is how we need to handle it and this is real stuff his knowledge single-handedly helped propel this thing into being what it became which was a life-saving venture wow so just something that stands out to me is (laughs) i'll call it god's divine intervention because in the article that scott wrote he talked about like he's run so many successful businesses right and been the board chair of so many organizations Scott is an incredible leader in our region, and he talks about in the article, like, that was my focus. I never really understood mental health until I had a conversation with Carl Linder, and he asked me to join the Linder Center of Hope. Thank you, Carl, for reaching out and asking Scott to join the Linder Center of Hope. So this wasn't like he went through his whole life thinking about that, that he joined. Little did he know that he joined the Leonard Center of Hope, became the board chairman, became incredibly knowledgeable about mental illness, and then an organization that he was the board chairman of, one of the owners would run into the same struggles that he was learning. It's just amazing how this works, right? Amazing how your one friend was bold enough to say, this is not okay, right? He didn't right. want to see you die. Right. And he was willing to say, you know what? Yeah, that's... Trevor, let him be. No, he was willing to pin you up against the wall. Literally. Literally. (laughs) And say it's time to get help. And I think that's the courage we all need in these conversations. We need to not watch things happen to anyone. We need to lean in and step up. And that's, again, a big part of what you've shared. This is why you have the Stigmatized podcast, right? That we want more people to hear this. There's a couple things to those listening. When we launched the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, our first press release was on executive isolation and C-suite stress. And the reason why we positioned our podcast that way, because we are trying to reframe success and leadership. And too many times have I sat across and listened to an executive talk about all of the things she wished she would have done. He wished he would have done. There was an article in that press release. We used a quote from Forbes where it says, it's not easy being the boss. In fact, some research shows that depression among CEOs could be double the national level. While it's no secret that the life of a CEO is high pressure, many CEOs simply feel they have to push through the hard times. In a process of supporting others, they often isolate their own struggles, right? And we don't deal with our challenges and we're afraid to tell anyone because that's a sign of weakness. I know we talk about, I was on the phone with a friend yesterday, Kevin Monroe, and we were talking a lot about the phrase that I talk about often around loving people well, right? We need to care about the people that we employ and that are around our lives. And love doesn't mean, you know, just making all things roses and butterflies, right? Love also means being able to say, hey, dude, you've got to stop this, right? Right. This behavior is destructive. I care about you and don't want to see it go on. Love means I'm willing to make an intervention and put themselves in between. Your sister could have lost you as a, you could have been so angry at her. You never wanted to to talk to her again. And there may have even been times where that existed, but she didn't care because she loves you. And she was willing to be bold and step up and do that, right? And I was telling my buddy Kevin, that's what that means. It doesn't mean that we just go around and hug everybody. If you're a hugger, I'm a hugger. But love means we need to be willing to lean into difficult conversations, including things like this, and care about if... So much of a percent, I was talking to another friend who developed some content around mental health 
Greg Harmeyer, who runs Tier 1 Performance. And he was woken up by the Lender Center through some data that he heard around the statistics of mental health and realized, well, if this is the case and I employ hundreds of people, there are people in my own workplace and maybe their own families that are struggling with these challenges, right? So he has leaned in and his team has leaned in to creating resources and tools, and we'll provide those in our show notes as well, that are just basically equipping free resources that you can deploy within your organization to really help with this, right? So I was talking to another friend, Todd Wolkowski, that he and I lost a very dear friend this past year to depression and to suicide, who was a CEO, was an executive, who was on top of the world, had all of life had to bring to him. People were thinking, how could he? But struggle that I have most emotionally with that is none of us knew, right? They say the greatest depression doesn't show on someone's face. No one knew, Trevor, that you were in this state until a couple people finally said, I know, I know what's going on. Yeah, you would have looked at me and I was always in the mix and had a smile on my face, making people laugh. And Robin Williams has always kind Mm -hmm. of become the poster child for you never know. I mean, you would never know that he was dying inside for a long time because he was just this guy that made everybody smile. And he has a quote that goes something like, I never want people to struggle. I smile and take care of people through my comedy because I don't want anybody to ever have to feel the way that I feel. Hmm. Something to that effect. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, you really never know. And I knew the person you're talking to very on the outside. But yeah, I used to say, I mean, this guy has got his stuff buttoned up. I mean, he does all sorts of things and volunteers and, you know, he even DJed, you know, weddings when he was already a successful person, just driven. And to hear that, that was a very big wake up call. And it should have been to anybody that knew him that you Mm -hmm. never, ever know. Yeah. One of the statistics that Scott Robertson puts in his article that recently ran in the Cincinnati Business Courier was the University of California study found that one in three entrepreneurs suffer from depression. That is 33% of people. And as one, I will admit, I struggle. Anxiety exists and fear exists. The whole theory of it's lonely at the top. I was just going to say that. Absolutely exists. And sometimes you get to a point, which is why we ran the article around executive isolation, that who can I talk to, right? Who can I talk to that's not judging me for the business I run, who I am, and I just need to be me, right? We talk how important the phrase 3 a.m. friends. We all need 3 a.m. friends. You need to know, Trevor, that you can call me at 3 a.m. and you can and say, I need help, right? And anyone listening can do that to Trevor or I. I have a friend who lives in Denver that just this past year, something that was being talked about, I stepped in and said, hey, can we hop on the phone? And he just broke down one early morning to me and asked me to call his mom and tell, have me tell his mom that he loved her and wrestling with that a whole work day, right? But thank you, Lord, that you allowed he and I, who we know each other, were involved in some efforts around community engagement. But we need to be there for people. And he's still living and he, you know, but he'll share, man, I was in a bad place eight months ago. And a few of us came around him and dude, you've got to get some help. Right. And he's a leader. He's a professional. He's, you know, you see him and he looks like the most joyful person in the room, but some of those most joyful can be the ones most struggling. Right. Right. And it's hard to see. And that's why this education and awareness is so important to the whole population but we both have soft spots for business. But even in that space, it's even more important because you got to take care of yourself. They say that everybody needs a therapist and therapists need therapists. Yeah, and it's true because uh, our dad, I mean, he came home, he's the happiest guy in the world, most loving person. But my mom's convinced that was what killed him, was stress. And uh, because as much as we were going through, he was going through even more because he was putting his own money on the line signing personally on everything, which nowadays is pretty common, betting on Tara and I. And he had to be dying inside because of everything that was going on in the weight of the world. And he's old school. 
with me, I tried to talk to him about something's off with me, something, you know, and it was get a hot shower and not being apathetic or a jerk. It was just, he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of rub some dirt on it and let's just pick it up and everything will be all right. Yeah. Get, get some sleep and, and it just doesn't work like that. It can hang with you forever yeah. and you can try and work your way out of it, but you got to reach out for help. If I didn't give all that I had to rehabilitation, to intensive outpatient program, and then group stuff. If I didn't take advantage of all those resources, I never would have gained the skills that are keeping me sober today. We lost our brother in September of last year mm. to cancer. So both men in my life are gone. Mm. I thought about it a lot in the coming days and the days of past, going 12 years without talking to your brother, and then he passes away. I could have gone back out. I thought about it. I thought about drinking. I thought about going out and just saying, forget it all. And if I didn't have, I'm sorry, but if I didn't have the, the skills that I gained through all this, I mean, hmm. it would have been bad. But I do and I did and I've got so many people to thank. And again, it goes back to why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I'm extraordinarily lucky and there are families that are losing people as we speak, suicide is just outrageous. I've got a daughter that's starting sixth grade and it scares me to death with mm -hmm. social media and bullying and all this stuff. So everybody, and I think that all this, I'm rambling again, but needs to be in the curriculum of schools, middle schools, high schools, college, mental health, and even some substance abuse, even if it's an elective being able to tell a 12 or 13 or 14 year old to come ask for help, especially a boy, yeah. it's tough. But I think the efforts are getting better, but I would love to see it be a permanent part of the national curriculum because mm -hmm. mental health is just so important. Mm -hmm. Trevor, so we have an audience of tens of thousands of people listening to this episode and uh, those that are listening, whether you're driving or on a morning run or sitting here in tears yourself thinking of yourself or a loved one or a colleague that struggles, the goal of this is to help enlighten you, empower you, encourage you through the work that Trevor's doing with Stigmatized Podcast. Trevor, what do you want to leave our listeners with today? That mental health and addiction are real. It's real stuff and it exists and it's scientifically proven that this can happen. Even though, again, I said that I absolutely made choices that were probably not the best, but I didn't choose to become addicted. I chose to pick up and drink and do drugs, and but I didn't expect to become violently addicted. And I just want the population to know that this stuff is real. And to if you got somebody struggling, ask for help. I mean, I hear about families and mothers that have an overdosing child at their feet in their house and they don't call the ambulance because they say what are the neighbors going to think or what is the community going to think if they come out on a stretcher and so the stigma is just stifling chokes everybody so it's okay to not be okay and there's so much we have to learn and if anybody's struggling You've got to reach out for help and have the guts to be a good friend and a good family member to have tough love. Like you said, love is not just hugs and kisses. It's getting down to brass tacks and getting real, but it's all too real. But there's hope for a beautiful life. For anybody that's out there struggling, there's absolutely hope. For, I had no hope. And I live a beautiful life now. It's hard. Every day is a struggle. I mean, this addiction thing and mental health is forever, every day. For the rest of my life, I'm going to have to implement the skills that I've learned. But you can be happy. And I don't need all that stuff for me to be the person that I am and have the personality and be this fun, go-loving guy. I just didn't know that before. But mm -hmm. you don't need all that stuff to live a good life. And you can be comfortable in your own skin with some hard work. Mm. Trevor, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your boldness, your leadership, what you're doing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for saving Trevor and walking you through what you've gone through and your family still with you and alongside. Thank them for all that they do and the 
love and compassion and support and knowledge that they've gained along this journey too. I do hope our listeners, please share this episode, send it on to family and friends. We all know people who need to hear it, right? We know if we're the one listening that we need to hear it. And I also encourage every one of you to follow Stigmatized Podcast. Just a beautiful thing about Google is you can just Google it and you can subscribe to it and follow. I love your comment that's on the Facebook page. To struggle is to be perfectly human. And those that struggle, please, all of us, you know, I shared, I, there's times where I struggle. There's times where being an entrepreneur and bringing life's energy to the forefront, you know, I know that God gives me the energy, gives me and give it my all, but we all struggle. And it doesn't say if we struggle, it says when we struggle mm-hmm. in scripture. And that is to be perfectly human. And you're not alone, no matter how isolated or alone we feel. We are not alone. Yeah. And Trevor, thank you for and being I wanna, here. And I want to thank you because this project might not have come to fruition as quickly, but I reached out to you and you were gracious with your time and helped kind of shepherd me through and urge me to do it. So you're a great friend and have been a great friend of our family. And I know Tara, I was just with her and she sends her love. And mm-hmm. yeah, so thank you for having me and thank you for everything that you do. Look forward to supporting you, sir. Sometimes it's the little things that make a big difference. A post-it note and two minutes can make a huge difference in your workday. Find out more at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash post-it. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter, or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.